Now, today is the second Sunday in Advent, and our focus today is on peace. Now, a few weeks ago, when Brian and I figured this one out, at first, I got a sense of dread with it. And you'd think, now, peace, that's a fairly safe topic, right? Um, But my dread came about because of thinking about the difficulty in this world in which we live. How in the world do we try to see peace or to, to make peace or something? And it's like, what an uphill battle. And that's why I thought, golly, I don't know what to do. Where do I go with this kind of thing? Now, obviously, I got over my dread because I'm up here. <laughs> I didn't push back that hard with him. Um, but it's just the recognition that we live in a world where there's all sorts of things that go wrong. Um, I very much understand why some people, and I do it too sometimes, we turn off our news feed. We're just tired of hearing all the bad news. Whether it's mass shootings that have happened or simply the conflicts going on around the world, Sometimes just the politics gets, gets you wound up. And then other things that maybe aren't quite so well-known, but they're still very hurtful and wrong, and they go on, um, don't receive as much attention, but domestic violence, um, things like road rage, abuse, all of those things are really part of this mess that our world is in, that we, that we know. A lot of good things, too. It's a good thing that there are some, some positive things, but boy, sometimes you just feel overwhelmed. But one thing I think we we sometimes forget is that in the time when Jesus lived, things weren't that much different. We have different issues, but it was still very much a violent kind of world that he lived in. Now, none of us here would have experienced, I, I shouldn't say none, maybe very few of us, but as Americans, we have not had an occupying force in our country for a long, long time, early on in our history. But some of you may have grown up with this. Jesus, though, was a Jew living in his own land, and they had an occupying force, the Romans. And what that meant is that they controlled most of everything that went on. They even would sometimes get their hands in the the religion, the Jewish religion. And on the other hand, sometimes the Jewish leaders would get their hand in politics. And it was just not a good mix. And so the, the point is, even in Jesus' time... Peace was difficult to see put into operation, just like it is for us. And so with that in mind, the direction direction I want to go with this topic of peace at Advent is how God's people can live in this tension, this very real tension of being peacemakers in this world that is just so full of conflict. Now, if any one scripture would sum up this tension that's around, it's these words of Jesus himself to his disciples just before he was betrayed and executed. This is from John 16 up on the screen. I have told you all this, and they were warnings that he was given his disciples about what would happen, right? I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So again, we see the tension there. Jesus is is fully acknowledging it, But he's saying to his disciples, look, even in the middle of it, even in the middle of the tension, you can find peace. It it can be real. Um, Not easy, but it's still there. And so Jesus lived in this tension, and he expected his disciples to live in the tension. And I would say he expects us, as his people today, to live in this tension. Now, what is meant by peace is more than just an absence of conflict. Sometimes it is that. It's, It's good when there's... Not any conflict going on, but it's much more than that. It's what some people have called or spoken of as harmonious relationships. And that's relationships between us as people and God, 
and between each other. That sense of harmony, it's, uh, and I love this word, and I just think it's so fitting, a sense of calmness. Don't we need calmness? It's a busy time of year. It just gets a little crazy sometimes. Calmness and contentedness that permeates all of our relationships. There's a great word in the Old Testament for peace, and you might have heard of this, shalom. Great word. And it uh, carries the idea of wholeness. It has the idea of well-being, of good relations. And it's the opposite of any disturbance in the well-being of a nation, of a family, or between people. So let's get started by looking at some scriptures. And we're going to jump around a little bit at first. We're going to land in Isaiah 9, which was our reading earlier. But just want to throw up on the screen some things that are said in the Bible about Jesus in his coming and peace. So here's some of them. The first one. In the prophecy of Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, he got that name later, Um, Zechariah was given this prophecy um, right after his son was born, and it had to do with his son eventually being the forerunner or the one who would go ahead of the Messiah. And he said that it would be a ministry to guide us to the path of peace. So that was Zechariah's prophecy. Then a few months later, after the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, this well-known message of the angels to the shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem. It was one of peace on earth. That was their their message they gave. And the well-known beatitude, the sayings that are at the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, one of them was, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And then one of the other scriptures that was read, John 14, 27, is a treasured saying, again, just before his betrayal and his death, what Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then standing behind all of it is the prophecy of Isaiah verse, chapter 9, verse 6 which again was read before, where the coming Messiah was spoken of as the Prince of Peace. We're going to come back to that shortly. Now, going a step further from that, here are a few things, a few ways in which Jesus integrated what was said about him and what he himself said about peace with the things that he did and what he taught. First one, he didn't spend much time with the powerful and influential, but instead he focused his time and attention on people who were downtrodden, and the people who are the outcasts of society. Sometimes some of us feel that way, right? Sometimes it's our personality, but sometimes we we feel like outcasts. Those are the people that Jesus focused his attention on. And his message of peace was one that resonated with them. At the same time, he wasn't afraid to speak strongly to those in positions of influence when they were oppressing others. And that especially was true for the religious leaders at the time. And what this says to us is that Peace sometimes does mean addressing conflict head-on. Again, not avoiding it. And Jesus is a prime example here of that point that sometimes we need to address it. And that's what being a peacemaker is, even though you know you're heading straight into some more conflict. But you are looking to make peace in that way. Third thing, he recognized that sometimes, and this one is, is very different, sometimes his presence did not bring peace. He had a message of peace, but sometimes, and this is from Matthew chapter 10, and he talked about it in the context of family members, because one would believe 
sometimes there would be another family member that would just be in opposition. And they, there would be conflict that would go on. So again, very heads up that Jesus, even though he came as the Prince of Peace, sometimes for people their response was anything but that. And then he brought healing to many people. Often, often telling them this great little phrase, go in peace. I mean, what an awesome way to say goodbye to somebody, right? I, I've, I've heard of some people doing that, but I just think it's an awesome thing to say, go in peace. Now, one instance of the healing that Jesus performed when he said this clearly shows that he was a peacemaker himself. It's a story that three of the Gospels talk about, and it was of a woman who for 12 years had had constant bleeding. Now, 12 years, think about that, right? Some of you have what you could call a chronic illness, a long time. 12 years, that's a chronic illness, okay? And this woman heard that Jesus was coming through her town. And it says in in the, the Gospels that she had spent everything she had on the doctor. She did all she could. They couldn't take care of the, the problem. But she hears Jesus is coming, and she gets up her nerve and thinks, if I just touch the edge of his robe... Maybe I could be made well. And that's what happened. That's the amazing part of the story. Now, the thing is, Jesus was in the middle of a crowd of people. He had his disciples and a bunch of other people around him. And when that happened, he stopped, and he he knew something had happened. She knew something had happened. She knew right away she was well, and so did he. And so he turned to his disciples and said, Who touched me? And they were, What do you mean, who touched you? There's all these people around here. But he said, I know that healing power went out from me. And the woman was very frightened, it says, but she again got her courage up, went up to Jesus, and and said, it was me. I'm the one who touched you, and this is what happened to me. But instead of bringing more fear or intimidation, Jesus responded to her with this message of peace up on the screen. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And if you can relate to this unnamed woman, this long illness, what you find is you may not see healing yourself in your body, but you can know that Jesus can bring a sense of wholeness, a sense of wellness, and a sense of peace. And to me, this is about a, a fine, as fine an example as there is of someone being a peacemaker, what Jesus did for this woman. It's a treasure to hold on to what he'd said to her. Now, I want to make a shift, and I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Again, the lengthy passage that was read earlier. In that passage, and this is why it's one of the Advent readings, there are four names given for Jesus, the Messiah who is to come in this passage, and one is Prince of Peace. For us on this side of history, we can read through this scripture, and we can read in the, the New Testament, and we know that it was fulfilled in Jesus. Several places actually in this passage say that it was fulfilled in him. But it's still important to ask, even though we know that, what does that mean? What does it mean for him to be called the Prince of Peace? Um, So if you have your Bible or or device, we're going to look at that again. So Isaiah chapter 9, in the Old Testament, not the easiest to find, but sort of two-thirds of the way through the Old Testament. As we've already brought up, interspersed through the stories about peace, when the Bible talks about it, is very often an unpeaceful situation. And that was a situation for Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a prophet for many years, 50 years about, 
give or take. So a long time in what was the southern kingdom of Judah. And at that time, it was not a peaceful place. Their main problem was on a national level because there was another country just north of them called Assyria that was either threatening to invade them or that did invade them at different times or that went through their territory to invade somebody else. They were a very powerful country. And so Isaiah is at this time when there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of threats of violence and all of that. But his prophecy in chapter 9 is a message of peace. Now, some of you may have, have come, you thought when, when Kevin and, and Becca were reading, that's a little weird when it talks about the warrior's boot and his, his cloak is going to be put in the fire. But actually, what that's, that is a message of peace because it's saying what the warriors wore, they didn't need them anymore. And so they could then burn them as fuel. So this is a message of peace, clearly. And then you come to verse 6, it's up on the screen. Um, and you come to this amazing message that sometimes because we're so familiar with, with it, I think we can miss it. What is more vulnerable, what can do less than a little child? And yet, this is the message of Isaiah. A child is born to us. A son is given to us. What he's saying is, I'm going to do things different. I'm going to bring peace, but I'm going to do it through a little boy. And you think, the people at the time would have thought, no, what what do you mean? Seriously, how can a little child do this? But that was the point. God was saying, look, I'm just going to do things differently. Now, we don't live in a monarchy, but there are royal overtones in here, right? It's talking about a prince of peace. We don't live in a monarchy, but I think we understand enough of the basics. When there is a new royal person born, right, they are born just like any other child, right? They come as a baby. And so this message is, yes, it's going to be a baby. It's going to be a little child is going to grow up to lead us into peace, but this is going to be a royal child. And so there's a sense where, like royalty today, they're trained to become queen or king someday. And Jesus would have understood some of it. Whether his parents understood all of it, we don't know. Now, the twist that comes down is he was going to be a ruler, right? He would rule, but he wouldn't do it by force. He would do it by peace, so there's several twists in this story that, again, because we're so familiar, we, we sometimes miss. Again, it comes down to God saying, look, I'm just going to do it differently. The king at the time was a man named Ahaz. And the Bible's pretty clear. It, it, it marks him out as good or evil, um, sometimes a mix. Ahaz was not one of the good ones, right? One of Ahaz's biggest problems as king is that he would very often hire a foreign army to fight his battles. And there would be an enemy, like the Assyrians, But even sometimes he would hire the Assyrians, who were the enemies of his people. And the Lord constantly, the message to Ahaz is, don't do it. Don't do this. You're going the wrong way. And what he said through Isaiah is, you want to know the path to peace and a lasting peace? It's going to come from the most unlikely source, a child, who's going to grow up to be a prince of peace. It's not going to come from hiring a military force especially one that's a foreign force. But here's the thing. Jesus came in fulfillment of what's written here, right? The New Testament makes that very clear. But the peace that's talked about in verse 7 here, right? 
His government and his peace will never end. And he will rule for all eternity. See, the thing is, that didn't happen with Jesus, did it? Okay? He came as a prince of peace, but like other prophecies, especially in Isaiah, what this is saying is he came in partial fulfillment. He did some of these things, but not all of them yet. And so what it's saying is that there will come a kingdom, that's how the Bible speaks about it, where Jesus will be king of this kingdom. He will rule with peace, but it hasn't come yet. And so in the meantime, we live in this world where there's all sorts of conflict, all sorts of problems. Jesus still causes people to be people of peace, but it hasn't come yet. And you got to think, when this kingdom comes, no more wars, no more of these terrible conflicts and divisions that we know all too well. And is that going to be an awesome thing or what? You know, it's so hard for us to imagine it, though. But that's what it's going to be like. And Jesus is going to rule it with peace. But again, in the meantime, (laughs) we live in this world that's just not that way. And yet God still says to us, this is his standard. It's peace. God is always realistic. The Bible's full of it to say, look, We know it's not going to be this way. That's where there are still military forces. There are still police because that's to keep the peace. At least sometimes that's the the whole idea of it, right? But in the future, we won't need them. And that's an amazing thing. But this is still the standard. This is what we want to shoot for. Now, another shift. And I want to look at a story that is very well known to, to many of us. Um, A year and a half ago, my wife, Julie, and I took a trip to the Czech Republic to visit our daughter, Andrea. And while we were there, we got to do some traveling. And we visited uh, in Poland. We were able to make a trip there. And this photo, you recognize that? Um, Yeah, this infamous concentration camp called Auschwitz. Um, You don't go to Auschwitz to enjoy a trip, right? And yet it's still really, uh, we found it so, so important for us to go there and, and just to take in this horrible place and, and try to uh, wrestle again with, with some of what happened there, um, this t- terrible concentration camp. One of my images of that day that, was there, that we were there was at the, the camp. There were, there were actually two places. The village of Auschwitz, uh, Auschwitz, um, is where the original camp was. And then eventually they were killing so many people that they, they built a bigger camp. They just raised a village, the Nazis did, raised a village and, um, and put up these, these barracks as well as all the crematorium. Um, and as we were walking through Birkenau is the name of that, that larger camp. And the, tr- the railroad tracks, they, they took the people right in there. Walking along the railroad tracks was this tall Jewish man and I could, I could see by what he was wearing that he was Jewish, and two women with him. And, and I remember thinking, what are they thinking? What, what are they, what's going on inside them? As they, no, no, no doubt there would have been people they would have known that died there. And what are they feeling as they walk through this horrible place? I mean, I knew what it was like for me as an American who, I was born well after this happened. Um, what were they feeling? Now, there have been some similar horrific examples of mass killings and genocide and ethnic cleansing, but Auschwitz, I think, raises some of the biggest questions in my mind. How, how could a nation like Germany, 
And you got to remember, Hitler was fairly elected, right? And he was appointed chancellor in 1933. How could they have done that? Didn't anybody recognize what this guy was starting to say and do? Um, I just don't get it. He was starting on his murderous path to kill so many Jews and other religions and, and ethnic groups. What, what happened? How could, it, how could it happen in a country that would have called itself Christian with a rich Reformation heritage like they have? And maybe more importantly, could something like this happen again? Now, I think history tells us that we can't ever be complacent that something like this would never happen again. Because if it happened in Germany, it could happen anywhere. And again, there have been other instances, uh, maybe not as bad, but there have been other ones. And I have to say, I still find it almost completely incomprehensible that there are still Nazi sympathizers around. That the Ku Klux Klan is still in existence, and white supremacists, even here in the U.S., In a different and yet related vein, how is it that there are still some young Americans being recruited for ISIS? How is this happening? What's going on? What's wrong Um, is what it comes down to. Something went terribly wrong. Again, going back to Germany. Among the believers in Jesus in Germany in the late 1920s and early 1930s, sadly, sadly, some of them and some churches went along fully with Hitler. They just did. And I know in the cold light of history, we look back and think, how could that happen? But it did. Some people who, and I'm going to just say so-called Christians, they got things desperately wrong, and they contributed to the destruction of many, many people. But fortunately, there were some believers who stood against the Nazis. And this man in the photo here, a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may have heard of his story. Um, We have his his biography and some books that he had written in our church library. But his story stands, among other things, as a peacemaker in one of the most violent periods of recent history. He had a tremendous influence among believers in Germany in the 1930s and 40s, primarily through heading up a seminary. And he also wrote several books, some of which are still being read. He led a movement that was called the Confessing Church, And it was very purposeful against those who were following Hitler. The lines were drawn very clearly back then, right? And his was called the Confessing Church. And their focus was on keeping to the teachings of Jesus as as closely as they could and to follow them in living in community as Jesus wanted his people to do. That's what he was after. Sadly, Dietrich Bonhoeffer died in a prison camp another one called Flossenburg, shortly before the end of World War II, for his opposition to Hitler. What he had actually done was leading a group of Jews out of Germany into Switzerland. He was caught, and he was put in this this camp, and he was hung. But his story, again, is another example of what peacemaking can look like through standing up against something that is so, so wrong and saying, no, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not how things are to be done. He literally risked his life and he lost his life for the Lord in standing up for peace in that desperate situation. So in a world in conflict like the one that Jesus lived in, like the one that Bonhoeffer lived in, and like the one we live in, how do we live as peacemakers? How do we demonstrate the peace that Jesus exemplified and taught? And I want to tell another story. This one's more local. It comes from an organization called ADVOS. They recently changed their name from the Center for Community Peacemaking. 
They're based in Lancaster, and their work is primarily that of um, meeting with people who've been incarcerated for a specific crime. But more than that, what they try to do is to provide mediation or facilitate conversations between the victims of crime, if they're willing to meet with them, and the ones who perpetrated the crime. And out of that, sometimes, and, and it's, it's been a, a, a very high success in terms of the recidivism rate, which is people going back into prison after they've got out, as well as the level of restitution, because that's part of what they're trying to do, bring restitution, payment for what's happened. One story I, I came across from their newsletter is um, uh, this local one. What they practice is called restorative justice, based on the principles of Jesus, it's a woman named Molly who is a business owner um, at a, in a local business, and part of their business, they own a warehouse. And there were three teenage girls who got in and vandalized the warehouse, as well as several other buildings in their area. They were caught, and they were I, I'm not even sure exactly what the punishment was initially, but um, someone contacted this group called ADVOs, and basically they got a facilitator with um, one of the girls as well as this business owner named Molly. And they brought in, I just had to laugh at this, the school superintendent as well. You just got to sort of love that they bring in the superintendent for it. But basically, through the conversations, this girl, and again, it was just one of the three, but she admitted what she'd done, and she volunteered to do some sort of activity or something to make things right as best she could. Interestingly, another follow-up is that Um, she ended up going to a borough council meeting to admit what she'd done. And (laughs) you think, oh, that's that's another whole level just in in what she'd done. Now, what's awesome about this story is that the, the business owner was affected as well. Again, she had to be willing to meet with this girl who had vandalized her business, obviously disrupted things pretty badly. And, um, this this woman, Molly, she wrote this to the Advo's director. She said, I did not grow up in an environment that taught peace and reconciliation. Quite the opposite. Being enveloped by the experience of the victim reconciliation and contact with your agency and its personnel has exposed my heart to another way of being. I don't think it's an accident that I was placed within this sphere. I have prayed for many, many years that God would soften my hardened heart and give me peace from my reflexive anger that bubbles to the surface in reaction to many events in my life. I think he put me in this place, in this time, to learn how to have a different approach to the world. And what an awesome way. It's an ongoing story. I mean, this doesn't end things in the happy ending. No, there's still a mess that's involved. But in case you're one of these people that thinks peace is the easy way out or the cheap way out and it's for wimps, I think that story says, no, it's hard work. If you really want to get down to what Jesus is talking about, it is hard work. It is not easy. The easy thing is to walk away. That's the easy thing. And many of us, that's what we too often do. No, this is hard work. You jump right in and you work to make things right. So here's a challenge before us with being peacemakers. We know all too well that we live in this world that's full of conflict and violence. At the same time, we know just how much we need peace, don't we? I mean... How much do we need it? We need it desperately in our world. And what this means is that this tension of trying to bring peace when so much of life is anything but peaceful is very real. 
And yet, this is exactly the place that God has put us. I sometimes forget this. God has put us here now in a time that's very difficult. And he still calls us to work toward peace. It may not happen. The Bible's realistic about it. In Romans 12, it said, as much as possible, be at peace with each other. But it says as much as possible. It's not always possible. And so, if we are here in this spot, this is exactly the time and the place where God wants us to be peacemakers. God knows there's enough people around who stir the pot. Oh my goodness. People who cause dissension and division. But we need those who are willing to do that hard work of peace. It starts with having peace with God ourselves and as much as possible with other people. Recognizing that despite the effects of harmful people and systems, there can be devastating effects that happen. But as much as we recognize all that, God would still look for us to be peacemakers. Here's the thing. God is greater and God lasts longer than any system, any person that's brought harm. Yes, it is devastating the effect sometimes, but God is still around. The church is still existing. And so God is still asking us in the midst of this mess of a world to stand up for peace. It may be to convey wholeness to people who suffer. This message to say, just like Jesus, go in peace. We may not see healing, but that message of wholeness and go in peace is just such an awesome one, especially to people who suffer and people that feel like outcasts. It may be to stand against oppressive and violent people and systems. You know, they're around, and it may be to stand up that way. It may to bring, to bring people together to address the impact of crime on that very local level, to do that kind of hard work of reconciliation. Or for some of us, it simply might mean that we just don't give up on the possibility of peace. Yeah, God asks us to do this, and it is still possible. Regardless, as followers of the Prince of Peace, if we don't do it, who's going to? So let me finish with a prayer, but I want to just leave a moment of quiet, and then I'm going to, I'm going to pray. All right, so let's do that. Let's just be quiet before God. Lord, we recognize this tension that we live in, but we also recognize uh, that you have put us here now and in this place. And with that recognition comes the realization that we are still to be your people of peace. And so whatever it might look like, I pray that you will be at work in us all to again truly be followers of the Prince of Peace. We know that and look forward to the day when he will be here leading in peace and we won't have any of this trouble that we, we know now. We look forward to it. But for now, give us the strength and courage by your spirit to do what we need to. In the name of the Prince of Peace, we pray. Amen.